This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Okay, which button do I push now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm new here, man. (laughs) All right, welcome everybody. It is the Monday edition of Talkback, February the 19th already. Time is flying. Uh, Talkback this morning is brought to you by Y West Storage, located out at the Y on Two Smokes Way for pricing and availability. Do they have a storage unit for you? I bet they do. Call 406-510-0590 at Y West. They're making room for you. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get as the uh, uh, winter begins to turn to spring, Gomer says everything you need to make sure your rig starts every time. Located at Palmer and West Broadway. Phillips Janitorial offers both residential and commercial cleaning. And of course, they have no job too big or too small and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Call 406-260-6617 and by Harrington Surgical Supply, where you can feel confident in Harrington's discreet and knowledgeable guidance on a multitude of products and medical supplies. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, it's the new guy. Hey, <laughs> it's the old guy. Who's the new guy? Anyway. Hmm. Hey Nick, thank you for filling in, man. Yeah, no, it was a it was a fun week. We had a, I guess we technically had Monday off, but uh, yeah, the rest of the week was a was a good time. Well, I tell I will tell you, I I did get calls uh, from people saying, "Hey, Nick did a great job." Oh boy, saw you're out of a job, dude. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. <laughs> I'm anyway. very very comfortable on this side of the desk. Okay, well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. no problem. Thank you. So, ask me. How was your trip? How was my vacation? Well, yes. let's see. We had uh, three glorious days of skiing up at uh, Big Mountain. And uh, when it was interesting because somebody must have uh, spoken to uh, Hephaestus or who, you know, throws the <laughs> snow down. Because just as we got there, we had a big snowstorm and a lot of fresh powder and all that. So uh, uh, my son and my son-in-law and uh, uh, also uh, son's-in-law, whatever, his brothers, all had a great time skiing. And then uh, we had three days of that. And then we did two days of snowmobiling oh. in Sealy Lake. And they, uh, we went up to a place called Rich Ranch, which is about, oh, I don't know, about... Five or six miles before you get to Sealy and up a big windy road and uh, lots of drama there with the snow covered roads and all that. Mm. But we got up there and uh, had two days of uh, of snowmobile action. And then we jumped in our car and came home. Okay. So there you go. And what did you partake in? Because I know you, you said you weren't sure exactly what you were going to, if you were going to ski or do any of that, do any of that stuff, snowmobiling. So did you actually... Hop on the skis or hop on the snowmobile at all or let, anything let, like that? Let's <laughs> just say a good time was had by all. All right. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> I can read between those lines. That's <laughs> no, really. It, it was great. Uh, uh, the Big Mountain, by the way, Big Mountain, um, not having skied a lot in, mm. in, in, in my life. So, uh, Big Mountain has an amazing, uh, uh, organizational, you know, schedule. Uh, the, the way they get all those runs get uh, running and all the, the chairlifts going. And, and we ate at a place called the Hell Roaring uh, Restaurant, which is like halfway up the hill. And uh, it's interesting because you walk in and everybody has got ski boots on <laughs> and, and they're fully, you know, because they just came off the slope, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's clomping, 
you know, clomp, clomp, clomp to the, and the food was absolutely outstanding. And the people were great. So, yeah, it was fun. Nice. Well, so, that's awesome. Anyway. And no then, one got hurt or anything like no, that? No, no, no. Every, every, no. Everybody had a great time. We had, they had a few spills, but um, a couple, I think it, somebody got a cracked rib. But uh, aside from that, <laughs> everything was great. The snowmobiling uh, was very, very chilly. It was very cold. Mm. But there was enough snow up there, at least to, to make it interesting. So... There you go. Again, that Rich Ranch is, uh, I said, about a couple, a couple of miles before you get to Sealy Lake, but it's up a big, big windy road uh, where there is, of course, more snow the higher up you go. Mm. And, but the uh, the folks at, uh, oh gosh, well, one of the places, oh, yeah, one, one of the uh, convenience stores where we filled up, he said that Sealy Lake is 10 feet short oh. of the snow they usually get. That's a lot. In a winter. Wow. And so they had a lot of a lot of events, a lot of people canceling out, uh, not coming. So the the town of Sealy Lake in that area was hit pretty hard by La Nina. And or was de- it El they- Nino? Yeah, La Nina. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and they depend obviously on on those uh those people to travel there, you know, for to spend their money. And so yeah, I mean, it's a big attraction during the winter. So I hope not too many people are canceling, but it sounds like uh well, they they're kind of hurt. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of people did and uh I, I, you know, it, it, unfortunately a town like Sealy Lake uh, well, they, they, they exist on tourism. Tourism is what they're all about. Yeah. And when you have one entire season that is basically cut short because of uh, the weather not cooperating, that makes it hard on everybody. And well, then, of course, puts more, it puts more pressure on what's coming up this next summer. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing that happened to Flathead Lake last summer right, with, you right. know, the lake levels being so low and miscalculations there. And, yeah, I mean, they, they depend on that revenue. So. You bet. Oh, we're up against our first break already. It is open phones, ladies and gentlemen, for the next 20 minutes or so. And then it's the one of our uh, really popular segments coming up. It's called the KGVO Book Club. Uh, professors Michael Mayer and uh, and uh, Mirdad Kia will be uh, talking about a book. It's an older book called Cultural Literacy by a gentleman named E.D. Hirsch. And I had a chance to look at the uh, at the prospectus and... They're absolutely right, what they're saying about cultural literacy, or should I say lack thereof, in our school systems and in our society. So we don't, people don't know what in the world their history is. So we're going to come right back with more of Talk Back and hopefully your phone calls for open phones until, uh, until 830. 721-1290 is our number. We'll be back right after this. Small. Dennis Bragg checking in with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. After some patchy fog early in the day, we should see a mix of sun and clouds today, and it will be warmer with highs around 40. Overnight lows just a little below freezing. A chance of rain and snow showers returns Tuesday, again with patchy fog. Only about a 50% chance of precipitation and little to no snow expected to accumulate. On Wednesday, we start with a mix of rain and snow turning over to showers later in the afternoon as highs reach into the mid-40s. We are back. This is Talk Back. It's Monday. Uh, Peter Christian back behind the microphone here. Again, a big thank you to Nick Christensen and everybody for filling in while I was gone for a week last week. Thank you very much. Let's jump right in here and do open phones. We've got Len. Len, thanks for holding, sir. You're on Talk Back. What's yeah, on your mind? Uh, you know, I, this deal that's going on over in Israel, first I got to say, I, I totally abhor what, what Hamas did to the people over there that that was wrong. But Israel created that, and Israel has created everything that has happened to them. And 
there's a Netanyahu doesn't pay one damn bit of attention to whatever Biden has to say about him. He's going to do what he's going to do. But there is a way to control him if we had the guts to do it. And that's to cut off the billions and millions of dollars that we give him all the time so that he can buy all that weaponry. We furnish him with all kinds of stuff that he has been able to use to kill all of his neighbors with. And as far as I'm concerned, Netanyahu isn't that better than Putin. I put them both in the same same category, and we need to stop him. It's, I, I can't even believe watching those things and seeing all those little babies blowing to bits over there in that damn place. It's wrong, well, Len, and we should be stopping it. Len, do, do you have the same amount of vitriol for the Hamas people that started this in October? I just said that. When I opened up, I said I abhor what they okay. did to them okay. in Israel. All right, I got you. You okay. bet I do. Thank you. Thank you. But okay. you know, it's like I said again, Israel brings that on. They have killed people over in that Gaza Strip over and over and over again, ever since 1948, whenever that's all that mess started. And we've let them do it, and we've financed them to do it. And it's wrong. And we're going to have to stop it because one of these days... That's going to come home to haunt us. You can't do that forever and not have it hurt you. All right, Len. Thanks for the call, Per, sir. Appreciate thanks. it. Let's get Nancy on the line. Good morning, Nancy. You're on Talkback. Hi. Hey, good morning, Glory. You're talking about Flathead Lake. You know, I'm, I'm always uh, fascinated by stories of crypto uh, creatures. And, you know, the Flathead, Flathead Lake monster, if somebody wants to Google and just see what this creature looks like, um, I'm just, uh, you know, that lake is a remnant of uh, a dammed off uh, glacier uh, lake from the last ice age. And it's 27 miles long and 15 miles wide and uh, the depth of 164 feet. And then the deepest part is 371 feet. But this creature has been seen since the late uh, 1800s. There were two um, uh, flathead Salish girls walking along the shore in the winter time back to their village, and they saw this creature's head sticking up out of uh, the ice, a hole in the ice. And uh, there's been hundreds and hundreds of sightings. There was quite a few last year. I'm just curious if anybody else out there has ever seen the, uh, these things. I'm going to say that there has to be more than one. Because, my God, you know, uh, we're talking the turn of the last century. There's got to be more than one inside that lake. But uh, I'm just fascinated by this story. And uh, I don't know. I know Lake McDonald is uh, 472 feet deep. So we have, we're truly a, a state of, of great treasures. And these, these lakes, I just love our lake systems here. What do you guys think? You bet. I, I was just looking I just looking up Wikipedia uh, about the Flathead Lake Monster. It says, according to retired newspaper editor... Paul Fugelberg, local tales of the Flathead Lake Monster go back more than a century. It was supposedly first reported in 1889 by Captain James Kerr of the Lake Steamboat at the USS Grant, who claimed he and his 100 passengers saw an unusually large whale-like object in the water. According to the story, one of the passengers on the steamer shot at the creature and set it diving for safety. So that's, that's the urban myth. So there you go. I don't know if it's an urban myth or not, because, uh, you know, this thing's got teeth. I mean, they a lot of people swim in that lake, and it is famously clean, but I, I don't think I'd be uh, going in that lake <laughs> okay. swimming, I'll tell you that. Well, not right now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nancy, thanks for the All call. Right, thank you so much.
much. Have a fun day. And the same to you. We're, we're up against a break. We're going to take a break. We shall still have Dave and Jeff waiting to visit with us this morning. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, we have open phones for another 10 minutes. And then it is Cultural Literacy, the KGVO Book Club by author E.D. Hirsch with doctors uh, Mirdad Kia and Michael Mayer joining us for that. Coming up at 8.30. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity. Because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources, and Services Administration. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Just uh, seven more minutes of open phones before we get to the KGVO Book Club. And Dave has been waiting the longest. Dave, good morning and welcome, sir. Yeah, good morning. Uh, did you see 60 Minutes last night? I did not. Uh, you didn't. Uh, okay, I'll tell I was you still, what. I was still officially on vacation. <laughs> but go okay. ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Everyone should watch it. But in a, they interviewed a man who was... Uh, chairman of the Republican Party of his state, and in it he said he was conned into the, the, the fake electoral thing, and that in his view that that 
Donald Trump lost that election of that state, and secondly, that he has quit his his position and he is not going to vote for Donald Trump well, anymore. Well, there you go. That's one. Yes, that's one. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, <laughs> for people who believe that Trump won the last election, presidential election, they should should watch it learn for themselves the truth well they they can watch it and find out what this gentleman has to say how, how about but putting it that way that, that sounds good all right sounds what all right do. Thank that, you. sounds good dave thanks for the call jeff is up next jeff good morning you're on talkback hi hey good morning welcome back peter thank you sir yeah um regarding flathead lake monster uh, i don't know with the uh there was a polar plunge this weekend where a bunch of people did uh did go into the lake for uh, Special Olympics, and as far as I know, nobody got eaten by a monster. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, um, well, the, the monster. It, it, I guess the lake is so low, the monster has to stay in the middle somewhere, right? I mean, he, he can't come out anywhere near the shore. Yeah, it's actually down to its lowest point that it usually gets to in winter. It has about another eighteen inches or two feet to go yeah. to get down to the, the lowest level I've seen. So, um, but yeah, but I've. I've just, uh, last couple of weeks, I've, while you were gone, I had the second installment of the worry of the week. The worry of the week. Okay. Because well, I don't, all right. I, I don't think we have enough stuff to worry about. <laughs> okay. You know, I think we need to come up with more worries. All right. What do you got? So this, this week's installment of worry of the week is that, uh, earthquakes have started to be felt at Campi Flegri in Italy, near Naples, since September 2023, over 1,100 earthquakes. Wow. So that whole Mount Vesuvius area around Naples is uh, is a giant caldera. Oh, boy. Kind of similar to uh, to uh, Yellowstone Park. And so if they're starting to feel earthquakes, and they're measuring magma flows, and they see the, the uh, elevation of the, of the surface rise and fall. They say, ah, it's just the volcano breathing. Don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, uh, earthquakes are coming back. And there have been, uh, you know, eruptions every couple hundred years. And I don't know if they're overdue or not. But I just thought that people might want, want one more thing to worry about in this world. And that's going to be earthquakes in Italy. Now, now, so, uh, uh, now, now, refresh my memory. Uh, maybe my geography isn't as as uh, as up to date as it, as it should be. Mount Vesuvius is is that near Naples? Is that uh, the the city that yes. look that basically you look out the window at Naples and and there's Mount Vesuvius, right? Right, and it's the mountain that destroyed the, the city of Pompeii. Right, um, and I think the and first I, century, I, or second century. I, I think it was also Her- Herculaneum as well. Yeah, probably is. Yep, I think you're right. So yeah, it's uh, it, it has done damage in the past. That whole area is volcanically active, um, and uh, and to bring it all back home, I, I don't know if folks realize that we live in a somewhat volcanically active area. There's a fault line that runs through the east side of Flathead Lake right here. Lincoln has had a fairly sizable um, earthquake in recent years, and uh, what was it last year? The year before, there was one just up there by uh, by Ravelli Hill. As you're coming up into uh, Saint Ignatius, so uh, you know, uh, just one more thing to worry about is earthquakes. Well, not you know, uh, just one thing in my in my radio memory. I remember in the '80s. Uh, there was an earthquake that was centered in Chalice, Idaho, that was felt in Missoula, 
at a, a little after eight o'clock in the morning, and uh, and so I'm 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 actually on the air like I am right now, and I felt. I felt the movement. I felt everything kind of start to shake a little bit. And I, and I, I said, I had prepared for this, believe it or not. And I said, if you don't get out of bed right now, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think anyone was terribly amused, but anyway, so. Yeah, well, the power of radio. <laughs> or something like that. All right, man. Thanks for the call, yeah. Jeff. Appreciate it. One more thing to worry about. I like that. All right. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Got about another minute and a half or so before we're going to give up open phones. So we can just uh, wait if you'd like to make a call. If not, we can take our break. And because we have Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio and Dr. Mirdad Kia on the phone. Mike, good morning, sir. How are morning. You? How are you doing? Yeah, good to see you all Good right see you and uh, of course dr dr key is also on the phone we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break come right back and begin talking about a book called cultural literacy uh by ed hirsch and we'll talk about that with <laughs> and there's a lot to talk about trust me we're gonna come right back after this timeout. Dennis Bragg checking in with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. After some patchy fog early in the day, we should see a mix of sun and clouds today, and it will be warmer with highs around 40. Overnight lows just a little below freezing. A chance of rain and snow showers returns Tuesday, again with patchy fog. Only about a 50% chance of precipitation and little to no snow expected to accumulate. On Wednesday, we start with a mix of rain and snow turning over to showers later in the afternoon as highs reach into the mid-40s. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you along this morning. Welcome to Talk Back. It's time now for the KGVO Book Club, a very, very popular uh, segment here on Talk Back. And uh, our, our thanks to Nick Christensen and Dr. Michael Mayer and Dr. Mirda Akia for putting this all together. We appreciate it. And uh, uh, today we're going to be talking about a book called Cultural Literacy by E.D. Hirsch. And I know, Mirdad, you wanted to start things off to start the conversation. Yeah. So please con- uh, go ahead, sir. Well, good morning uh, to you, Peter, and to Nick, and uh, thank you very much for having us again. And good morning to my good friend, uh, Professor Michael Mayer. So cultural literacy is a term coined by uh, our author, who was an American educator and literary critic, E.D. Hirsch, and uh, it basically refers to the ability to understand and participate fully and fluently in a given culture. And um, uh, it, the, the, the word itself, cultural literacy, and Mike can correct me, is sort of an analogy to literacy itself, uh, which is the ability to read and write letters. Um, a literate reader knows the object, languages, alphabet, grammar, sufficient set of vocabulary. In this case, a culturally literate person knows a given culture's signs and symbols, including its language, um, you know, uh, stories, entertainment, idioms, idiosyncrasies, and so on. So the culturally literate person is able to talk and understand others um, in that culture with fluency. And uh, I think, you know, when it comes to this, um, we are facing a bit of crisis in this country in terms of how many um, uh, culturally literate uh, young people we have given our educational system, which is one of our focuses today. 
So I wanted to pass the baton to Mike and take it from here because he's much, uh, much more in tune and much more of a uh, expert of this topic than I am. So, Mike, please take it. Well, thanks, Meredith. I'm not sure about um, more of an expert. In fact, uh, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. And the analogy that comes to mind, what, what Hirsch means by cultural literacy is if you don't have a certain fund of knowledge uh, and references, then you can't read what's in front of you as, as every bit as much as if you can't make out the letters because you don't know what it means. And I, when we were talking about this um, and when we were promoting it uh, after the, the last book, I mentioned, you know, somebody says, well, that's his Moby Dick. You don't, unless you understand that right. Moby Dick is about obsession, you don't know what that, com- what that comment meant. And Meredith and I were walking out of, of some place and Meredith said something like, he has the patience of Job. And there's another cultural reference. If you don't know the story of Job, then you, you don't understand the reference. Do you remember Jay Leno when he was, when he was on the, on the Tonight Show? He had, a, he had a segment called Jaywalking where he would go out yeah. and and ask people various questions about the culture, uh, like how many states are there? Uh, uh, what's what's the nation right above the United States and right below the United States? And the amount of cultural ignorance and illiteracy was absolutely shocking. And and we're talking college educated people. Yeah, and, or, and whatever. Yeah. It's one of Hirsch's points, and it's it's uh, and he blames uh, the school system largely for this. And, uh, and and educational theories that back up the school systems. Uh, j- just briefly, um, um, Edie Hirsch uh, was a, did his BA in English at Cornell and then went on to do his PhD at Yale. Uh, he taught at Yale for about a decade until 1966 and then went to the University of Virginia. Uh, he's an interesting figure because his early work was on English Romantic poets. He was a literary critic. But he made a departure in 1967 when he published the book Validity and in Interpretation. And in that book, he argued for, as he put it, the sensible belief that a text means what the author meant. Uh, well, I mean, it was, it was coming under a great deal of criticism from postmodern critics and so on at that time. And in that book, uh, Hirsch distinguished between what he called meaning, which doesn't change over time, and significance, which does change over time. But uh, as he describes it, to be culturally literate uh, is to possess the basic information needed to thrive in the modern world, as Meredith said. Um, He said cultural literacy constitutes the only sure avenue of opportunity for disadvantaged children, which I think is a very important point. Because for Hirsch, who was a political liberal, um, this was a, a key element of creating a more equitable society. Um, that not everybody has equal access automatically to cultural symbols and norms, but uh, schools can provide that. And it is the means of of improving your life. And he, he argues that uh, without it, uh, without access to that, people's lives are, are greatly constrained. He also argues that cultural literacy is necessary for democracy because it's, it's how we communicate. And I know some people at the time criticized Hirsch for his um, sort of pragmatic grounds, uh, you know, that advanced the interest of minorities, that advanced the interest of democracy. But um, uh, those are good arguments. Uh, so, too, is the argument that just generally being an educated person is a good thing, too. I mean, you know, the, these sort of more uh, ethical or, or normative arguments. But I think the pragmatic arguments are worth considering as well. Um 
we Merdod hinted at the idea that uh, this contain this book deals with and is based on uh, a long-standing educational argument, which is the theories of Rousseau and John Dewey, the American pragmatist philosopher. Um, uh, as, as Rousseau said, a child's intellectual and social skills will develop naturally without regard to specific content. And Dewey, really? assu- yeah. <laughs> and Dewey assumed that early education need not be tied to specific content. The idea is you teach the skills, then they can go out and do it. But um, as, as Hirsch argues in contrast, only by pi- piling up specific communally shared information can children learn to participate in complex cooperative activities with other members of their community. Literacy requires the early and continued transmission of specific information. So the question of content versus uh, skills. Concepts. I mean, the, I, I, if, if a child does not learn concepts of, of you know, basically so the surrounding uh, territory of the facts that you're giving them, then they'll have no meaning. Right. Well, and that, that's exactly his point. And again, right. if you don't get the cultural references, because we almost all, to one degree or another, work by illusion. We... we reference things. And if you don't get the references, uh, then in in 1987 when Hirsch wrote this, you're as illiterate as someone 100 years earlier who couldn't make out his letters. And so um, th- that's his point, that, that this, cult, this set of cultural knowledge, this cultural literacy is necessary to be able to read and participate in uh, public engagement. We're going to come right back. Uh, phone, by the way, the phone lines are open. If you'd like to chime in on this conversation, we'd love to have you. That's the whole purpose of uh, the KGBO Book Club, to get you involved. Perhaps you've read this book. Maybe you'd like to read it. Anyway, uh, the phone lines are open at 721-1290. You're joining us here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. Uh, on the phone, Dr. Mirdad Kia. And again, the book is called Cultural Literacy. It will return right after this. Hi, this is... No word in the English language is less convincing than probably... Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. This is Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number. It's the KGVO Book Club rolling right along this morning. Folks are calling in. We appreciate that. Well, on the phone with us, Dr. Mirdad Kia here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. And uh, so before we start getting into calls, gentlemen, anything you want to say before we start uh, taking calls from folks? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's good to know that he actually uh, does something very interesting, Um Hirsch actually um, has um, 5,000 names, phrases, dates, concepts that he believes every American should know in order to be culturally literate. And um, um, I I, I think it's very interesting. Um, Hirsch was uh, 
as Mike uh, pointed out correctly, was a liberal, you know, a politically liberal person. And um, how much this book became controversial later in light of uh, uh, what we now refer to as uh, politically correct culture and uh, now more recently the woke culture and so on and so forth, and how much he has been criticized, um, uh, it, it shows, uh, you know, where the concept of liberal has also gone. You know, in terms of what was a liberal in 1987, and, um, you know, who is a liberal now, or who is on the left, or who is on the progressives. It's a, it's a fascinating, in my mind, it's an incredible transition, or shall we say metamorphosis in some ways, in terms of how these concepts have changed, and how much um, um, he became controversial and uh, debated in late 1980s and early 1990s. And Meredith's point is really well taken, is because conservatives defended him and um, his uh, erstwhile friends on the left were, were, were attacking him for, for this idea. The, the, many argue that the, um, you know, that the culture he's talking about is uh, elitist or wasp. And he argues quite the contrary, that the wider culture, first of all, is not static. It changes. Uh, it changed when we had floods of immigrants come in in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and it's changing all the time. Uh, as, and he argues it's not a WASP culture, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture. It, it's a culture that doesn't belong to any group, and it's constantly assimilating, assimilating new groups and expelling old ideas. So cultural yeah. literacy has has nothing to do with race, then? No, absolutely not. Although, okay. again, some critics right. say everything has something to do with race. Sure, of course. Would argue. I mean, it's an inter- it's going back to Meredith's point, which is I think exceedingly well taken, is how how much that argument and discussion has shifted in the years since 1987. You bet. Let's. Uh, we have Mr. Wingnut on the line. Mr. Nutt, you're on. What's your question or comment? Go ahead, please. Oh, I kind of have comments and questions, and this is my uh, key takeaways, I guess, I'll say, from the book. First, Michael already kind of mentioned about the the dichotomy between reading skills versus a cultural literacy, and maybe he can go more into the building blocks of what he calls a a schema. Um, But important things I gleaned from the book was how important it is to have a single national language and how that multiple national languages are not really optimum for formulating a better um, culture. Um, that, you know, which brings to mind what's going on in the U.S. currently, and uh, is the how, how the influence of Spanish on our uh, nat- uh, our languages. And it's not that one Roman-based phonetic language is necessarily superior. But it's just the fact that having multiple language isn't necessarily the best decision. Secondly, he, I really enjoyed the part in the book where he talks about how, you know, the Europeans just happened to choose the uh, Roman alphabet for the base for their language. And English became largely semi-phonetic, which was key. And contrasted that with the Chinese, which is composed was composed of many dialects and I'll, I'll say pictograph style characters. And that resulted in a real lack of communications between the you know, dialectic factions within the Chinese realm. And, and my wife was from Korea, and she always was just so delighted to talk about Hangul. 
which was developed in the 1400s, which is a, you know, a few characters, and it was a phonetic or, a, um, I guess more correctly, a morphophonological uh, type of language. And that was opposed by the Confucians. But when Koreans became independent, it became their official language. But the bottom line is it was a phonetic-based language compared to the Chinese. And the Chinese finally, in the late 1900s, went to um, Mandarin. The other important thing is, um, is on page 115, it talks about the time that is spent studying. And that reminded me of Kenny Wu's book and his Supreme Court affirmative action lawsuit that is very recent, where he points out that on average, blacks spend five hours a week studying and whites spend eight hours a week studying and Asians spend 15 hours a week studying. Um, and, you know, it's not that one race is intellectually superior to the other. It's, it's the cultural and family and the values that is promulgated in the various uh, cultures within, you know, races. Uh, lastly, I'll say that, you know, I, I actually got a signed copy of his book and where I kind of have to chuckle at Mr. Uh, at the author is that he, he styles himself postmodernist and he is in his terms, he is a secular American and whose ideal is to develop a civil religion. And, you know, when I ponder the contribution of the Judeo-Christian uh, lit, uh, traditions and literature that, that has contributed to our cultural literacy over you know, four or five centuries, uh, it just kind of makes me, you know, just nod knowingly, if you will. All right. And that's my thoughts. On the thank, thank you Thanks. for your call, Mr. Nutt. Gentlemen, go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. Michael. Yeah, Michael. Well, I think I, I, I think uh, Mr. Nutt uh, picked up on a number of important points. What what he was referring to is uh, I think it's the second chapter or the third chapter where he talks about uh, uh, the the idea that uh, a schema or um, uh, a, a web of of background knowledge that you use to uh, analyze instantly. You, you need to have this stuff at your at at instant recall in order to process a passage that you read in a book or a newspaper or a magazine uh, in order to make sense out of it. And this, you know, this is something that's different from the ability to sound out words phonetically or, or, or to recognize words and even have some sense of what the words mean. Uh, that, that's the literacy that was, um, that was necessary in 1890 to begin to get ahead in society. And he's saying that now you need to have this much more advanced um, literacy, cultural literacy. I think it was probably true in the 1890s as well. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Nancy is waiting to visit with you, gentlemen, uh, on the KGVO Book Club. Several other phone lines are open, by the way, at uh, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. Or we always like to put a plug in for the KGVO app. If you don't have it yet, all you have to do is go to the App Store, click on the KGVO app, download it, and you can instantly listen to KGVO all over the world. All over the universe, wherever. Yeah, anyway. But you can listen to, to KGVO wherever you want to go. And you can also message us uh, when the talkback is on. So just hit the message us button and we'll be glad to pick that up. So we're coming right back after this time out. More calls coming in. 
Dennis Bragg checking in with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. After some patchy fog early in the day, we should see a mix of sun and clouds today, and it will be warmer with highs around 40. Overnight lows just a little below freezing. A chance of rain and snow showers returns Tuesday, again with patchy fog. Only about a 50% chance of precipitation and little to no snow expected to accumulate. On Wednesday, we start with a mix of rain and snow turning over to showers later in the afternoon as highs reach into the mid-40s. Okay, we're back on Talkback. 721 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. This is KGVO Book Club. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen, producing Talkback. Taking your calls. Dr. Michael Mayer of the studio. Dr. Mirdad Kia on the phone. And Mirdad, you wanted to make, you both wanted to make a couple points before we take our next call. Go ahead, Mirdad. Yeah, so, I mean, it might be of some interest for some of us uh, listeners that Hirsch uh, actually acted as the founder and chairman of this nonprofit organization, a Core Knowledge Foundation, uh, which uh, actually continues apparently to publish uh, um, and peri- periodically update the Core Knowledge Sequence, which is basically a set of uh, unusually detailed curriculum guidelines for pre-K through eighth grade, and. Um, uh, I, I, in 1991, I believe, uh, Hirsch and this Core Knowledge Foundation put out what your first grader needs to know. And it, they have continued to sort of uh, frequently uh, sort of put this out. So uh, this is a continuing project that uh, they have, uh, they have uh, more or less pursued. And uh, I think it's wonderful that... Uh, you know, they have at least established uh, a bit of history and a bit of, um, you know, bit of uh, track record. The other thing that I thought was fascinating, and I was wondering if Mike wanted to comment on this, is that <clears throat> he has a kind of a historical analysis. Uh, he uh, has frequently denounced the 19th century romanticism and its impact on American culture in general. And he connects the 19th century romanticism, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to uh, the sort of progressive uh, or progressivist uh, sort of tendencies in our own culture. And, uh, of course, uh, the romantic uh, sort of tradition in Europe, you know, it has a lot of names under it from... And I know Mike mentioned one of them, uh, Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, William Blake, William Woodsworth, <clears throat> Samuel uh, Taylor Coleridge, um, and, uh, and many more uh, in terms of uh, um, in terms of the tradition. And uh, he sees the Romanticism-inspired progresses as being in opposition to the intellectuals which is what he calls for the classicist, uh, the modernist, the pragmatist, the scientist, and so on and so forth. So he sees this as a, uh, as a uh, confrontation which goes back um, at least a couple centuries back in terms of the debate between the romantic uh, tradition and the classicist tradition, which has, we, we have now inherited in our own system. 
Yeah, we have about two minutes, yeah. so go ahead, Mike. Well, I, I think that, uh, yeah. that that is a, it's an important point for Hirsch, and, and it's an important point for understanding this. I mean, the Romantics re- reacted to the Age of Reason, the Enlightenment of the 18th century, which which held that reason was the basis of uh, you know knowledge and understanding, and the Romantics. Uh, looked more for the mystical and the individual and the individual's uh, reaction to things and 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 emotion and um, there uh, there are strong elements and as I as as I said Hirsch began his career studying the Romantics and there are strong elements of that um, that that come through uh, throughout the late nineteenth and early twentieth centuries as as uh, Western intellectuals responded to industrialization and if you look at Marx and uh, Nietzsche and Freud, you know, some of the great uh, sort of thoughts in response to industrialization, all of them were in some way or another influenced by, by romanticism. And certainly there's that element in Dewey as well. And John Dewey was an American philosopher, pragmat- most famous for his pragma- pragmatism. But he also was um, an educational theorist, as I said. And, and again, he argued that every child should get the basics of a good education and, and also be uh, allowed to pursue his own particular talents. Children should learn by doing, not by rote memorization. And uh, as Hirsch says, you know, some things you need to memorize. But, um, uh, you know, Dewey, Dewey, and, and Dewey also said you build on what you already know. You know, the child's, each child should develop at his own pace, and each child builds on what, what he already knows. We are going to, we, we finished up our first half hour of, uh, of uh, the KGVO Book Club. We'll continue after the top of the hour. Nancy and Helena, we're going to ask your patience in holding through the break because we will get to your calls right after the top of the hour. So, again, this is the KGVO Book Club. And it's Cultural Literacy by E.D. Hirsch. We're coming right back. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of the Monday, February 19th edition of Talk Back, brought to you this morning by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission has always remained the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, residential commercial cleaning, no job too big or small. Their number 406-260-6617, Y-West Storage. They have uh, pricing and availability of storage for you at 406-510-0590 out at the Y. At Y West Storage, they're making room for you. And also brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, Gomer's has exactly what you need to make sure your rig starts every time and all the accessories as well. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service, Palmer and West Broadway. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Welcome back uh, to the KGVO Book Club. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen is right over there waiting to take your phone calls this morning. Hey, Nick. Hello, hello. All right. Uh, here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer on the phone is Dr. Mirdad Kia. So, gentlemen, we have folks that have been waiting all the way through the break. Let's jump right in and get them on right now. Nancy, thank you so much for your patience, ma'am. You're on, on the KGVO Book Club. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, this is a great conversation. I wouldn't miss this for anything. And good morning, everyone. I just want to say that the United States is such a huge country. We have a national culture as well as regional cultures. And in each regional culture, uh, they've got their own terms and their own slang. Well, let's make simplified things. Like in the Midwest, they say pop. Out here in the American West, would you like to have a soda? 
Um, and I think that um, it's very difficult to pick up on uh, the English language in the United States because we are so large, and uh, we also have, you know, like I said, such such slang slang terms. But I, I want to mention uh, you're talking about books, and I I know there's a book, it's a novella. Uh, that is just absolutely fascinating. I don't know if either one of you have ever read it. It's it's a science fiction novella. It was uh, an award-winning uh, um, fiction piece in 1998. It's called Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang. And there's a movie made out of it called Arrival. And in this movie, uh, it, it involves Earth's first communication with heptapods who speak in a cryptic language. And uh, one of the pods actually lands in the story, lands just outside of Livingston, Montana. And a young uh, linguist is hired to, to try and communicate with these space aliens inside of the, these pods. And uh, it, it's, it's such a fascinating um, approach to language and how language connects and how important it is not only to the human beings but to well like in this case space aliens are you familiar with this work well it was Amy Adams uh, starred in the movie in case you're wondering but go ahead yeah yeah she did, uh-huh, she did. <laughs> go ahead uh, gentlemen uh, I'm sorry I missed that one um, but the point about localism and regionalism and nationalism is is is, is a very good one, and it's also one that, that Hirsch deals with. And he, he talks about how um, the local and regional cultures uh, give way to a national culture. It doesn't mean that they're eliminated, but is with, with communications and transportation in the late 19th century, uh, and, that, and especially as America expanded, but uh, all major Western nations um, became more integrated, especially economically. They needed to have these national, um, na- a national language, a national um, you know, set of references, a, na- a national culture, and to be successful as a nation, a national political culture. You bet. Mirdad, go ahead. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I, I agree with what Mike just said. And I think in some ways <clears throat> um, I would even um, go beyond those categories that Mike uh, correctly pointed out and I would add something to also Hirsch's point that, uh, you know, understanding, you know, American culture, American history, American traditions, American institutions, you know, uh, civil, uh, you know, part of our, uh, you know, history and culture institutions, um, these are very, you know, we, we used to have what it was at civics, you know, and this is such an important part of um, understanding of where the American institutions and history comes from. But also, given the, um, I just want to add this uh, one very minor issue, which I'm, I think is important, is that given uh, United States' role in the world and how it impacts uh, every corner of the world in terms of <clears throat> what our position is and what our impact is, I think it's very important to include, you know, international and global literacy. Um, Not in this kind of a very crude and simplistic way. We all love each other. We are brothers and sisters, which is great. Uh, But uh, in terms of understanding other cultures, other societies, other civilizations, 
how they have interacted with the United States, and what the United States' role is in different parts of the world. Uh, I never forget that, you know, uh, there was, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. Uh, this is during the presidency of President Bush, uh, father. And uh, there were about, uh, I don't know, 80-some percent uh, of Americans wanted some kind of response and wanted this response to be immediate. Uh, but about 70 or so percent of them did not know where Kuwait was and did not know uh, did not know how to point at Kuwait on a map. And uh, so I think it's very important uh, when we have opinions about various foreign policy issues, various different cultures, to also have those opinions as educated opinions as opinions which are based on facts and solid information. Well said. With that, we're up against our break. We have Helena waiting very patiently on the phone. We'll get to you right after this time out. Seven other phone lines open, by the way. The book is called Cultural Literacy by E.D. Hirsch. And our guest here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer, on the phone, Dr. Mirdad Key. I'd love to have you be a part of the conversation. Uh, Give us a call, 721-1290. We'll be back right after this. Dennis Bragg checking in with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. After some patchy fog early in the day, we should see a mix of sun and clouds today, and it will be warmer with highs around 40. Overnight lows just a little below freezing. A chance of rain and snow showers returns Tuesday, again with patchy fog. Only about a 50% chance of precipitation and little to no snow expected to accumulate. On Wednesday, we start with a mix of rain and snow, turning over to showers later in the afternoon as highs reach into the mid-40s. We are back on Talkback, and the fog beginning to lift just a little bit out there this morning. I'm Peter Christian, Nick Christensen, uh, producing Talkback, taking your phone calls. Uh, Helena has been waiting quite a while. Helena, thank you so much for your patience. You're on the KGVO Book Club. Go ahead, please. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, my question is kind of a follow-up to Professor Kia's comments about global um, uh, literacy, global cultural literacy. Um it strikes, I want to ask about isolationism that sometimes crops up in the United States. Um, we are geographically, you know, oceans away from other continents. And also English is now, at least at this point in history, considered a must-know language in uh, many parts of the world in order to get ahead and to communicate globally. Um, does this isolation, along with this sort of prominence of our native language, does this make Americans a little bit, I don't want to use derogatory term, but a little bit lazy about learning about other parts of the world because we do have these advantages, at least at this point. Um, and what can we do to encourage people to remedy that so that they do learn more about the world? Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, Helena. Very good questions. Uh, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, they are. And, and thanks for waiting. Um, you know, the, the question of American isolationism and what Americans know and don't know about foreign countries is an interesting one because going back to the 1920s, uh, you know, World War I really injected Americans of the world scene in a way certainly that it had not and been before. And also America was a major industrial power and uh, an economic power. And it, it's, it's interesting that there were all over the country – uh, societies for the study of foreign affairs and these kinds of things that are still around the what what became the Kennedy School at Harvard and the Wilson School at Princeton, which is no longer called the Wilson School. Now it's the School of uh, Policy and International Affairs. Um, but uh, the and, and also the Fletcher School at Tufts. I mean, all of these 
uh, go back in the School of, of, of International Relations at Georgetown. All of these things go back to the 1920s. And um, the desire to understand something about the rest of the world. And so there's this dual dynamic that exactly what what Helena described, which is, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of comfortable, we're, we're, we're oceans away, and uh, you, don't need, you, need, you don't need to learn uh, foreign language. English will get you pretty far most places, and if they don't understand you, just shout. Maybe that'll help. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, it exists alongside a desire, a great desire to know about foreign things. And, I mean, you, Merida is talking to groups all over the state constantly who, are, who want to know about these things. So it's a, it's a very curious dynamic that we have both this massive uh, lack of interest and, and knowledge and yet also, uh, at least among some... There uh, are pockets. Uh, yeah, a, a great desire to know more. Well, I will tell you this, that if Bob Seidenschwartz were here, he'd jump right in and say, hey, how about World Quest? Yeah. Uh, where, and Mirdad, you're well familiar with this, where uh, teams from Montana, some of the smallest towns in Montana, come and compete about international issues. And it is inspiring to see the amount of study and thought and uh, the amount of sheer knowledge that these young people have. Yeah, and just, um, yeah. just two graduate students, um, a decade and a half apart, um, one wrote about uh, one, one of my graduate students wrote about um, U.S.-Mexican relations in, in, from the late teens to the late 20s. And the amount of coverage in local Montana papers of, of the Mexican Revolution, U.S.-Mexican relations in the, in, in the 20s, really astonishing. And the others writing about um, the, uh, the, the question of U.S. intervention in China after, after World War II. And uh, again, the, the amount of activity in Montana. It's not everybody. I mean, there are right. those people that Helena described without doubt, but there's also that other side. Okay, let's get another call on the line. Jeff, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on talk back on the KGVO Book Club. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Peter, for taking my call. I just wanted to give a shout out to the book, the, the book Cultural Literacy. I've had this book for at least 25 years, and it's on the always on the coffee table and ready to go for reference. And I wanted to share with you guys how much I enjoy the book. Mm is that sometimes when I'm having a dinner party or guests over, if someone wants to play a game, we've organically made like a little Jeopardy-style game out of it where someone will pick the category, uh, say geography, they will read the definition, obviously without giving away the clue, and then it's up to the group to figure out uh, what, what they're referring to. So I really enjoy this book. I can't recommend it highly enough, and it's given us hours of entertainment. Thank you, guys. Well, thanks well, for the thank call. You. Thanks for listening, and thanks for calling. We yeah. appreciate it, sir. Uh, gentlemen, you go know, ahead. One of the things, uh, thank you, Jeff. That was a wonderful comment, and I agree with you. Um, you know, when uh, somebody is attacked by both political right and political left, uh, you actually become curious about reading his book. And he has been attacked, I think, on the political right. He was accused of being totalitarian for his ideas leading itself to turning over curriculum selection to federal authorities, uh, thereby eliminating the time-honored American tradition of locally controlled schools. On the left, I know this uh, Howard Gardner um, from Harvard University, uh, who is known for his theory of multiple intelligences. And uh, he has repeatedly attacked uh, Hirsch as um, superficial and anti-intellectual and so on and so forth. Uh, so when you read it, actually, 
you realize that uh, both sides actually come to this discussion from very narrow ideological points of view. And what Hirsch is saying transcends these ideological views. And he basically calls for, a, you know, a nationwide cultural literacy campaign in which um, every generation becomes aware uh, of the history, culture, traditions, civic institutions uh, of the country they live in. But also, you know, going back to Helena's excellent question, you know, I, I think there is nothing that I have seen in his writings which opposes, um, you know, a generation of Americans who are more engaged in world affairs, who are much more aware of uh, what is taking place uh, across the globe. And um, given the fact that the United States plays a leading role uh, in, in the world, and not only politically and militarily, but economically, but also culturally. I mean, everything that is produced, you know, in terms of a movie, in terms of a music, and so on and so forth, is immediately um, consumed, you know, you know, from China to Korea to Argentina to Brazil, uh, because American cultural products are also very popular. And, you know, this is, if we want to do business in this context, anywhere in the world, we need to know foreign languages. We need to know foreign cultures. We need to know uh, other histories and other traditions. Because in order to succeed, you have to have knowledge. Knowledge is power. And that power translates itself into prosperity, um, you know, economically, and, but also uh, culturally in terms of enriching ourselves. All right, gentlemen, we're up against a break. We're going to come right back. And Harry, I promise as soon as we get back, you'll be the first thing, uh, your first person up. Several other phone lines open at 721-1290. This, by the way, is the KGVO Book Club. Uh, I'm Peter Christian to Questionson right there. Also joining us here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer on the phone, Dr. Mirdad Kia. The book is called Cultural Literacy by E.D. Hirsch. And we have another 40 minutes or so to discuss it. And we'll come in right back after this timeout. At we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, good to have you along on the KGVO Book Club. Uh, the book is called Cultural Literacy by E.D. Hirsch. Uh, Dr. Mirdad Key is on the phone with us here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. Let's get right back to the phones and say good morning to Harry. First of all, Harry, thank you for holding. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you know, we always bemoan that you know people are ignorant of the history of culture, this and that. But, I mean, it's every... every li- you know, we have all our little bubbles. So, I mean, some of the culture that I have isn't, I, well, you go into inner city and, and you tell them, well, say something about Moby Dick, they have a clue. But do you, if they said something about Flavor Flav, you would have a clue. I mean, you know, or, uh, you know, ludicrous. Or, I mean, and that, or then there's also, you know, people who are NASCAR, the NASCAR culture. That's their whole life is the NASCAR. And you, I wouldn't know anything about what they're talking about. So, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. I personally, I, I think, uh, you expand your horizons is a great thing, you know. I, I read Moby Dick. I don't, you know, well, I didn't. I listened to it, and you know, it was interesting, hard book to get through, though. Good lord! But uh, uh, you know, it's. But I really, as I could have lived my life without it. Really, I mean, it didn't didn't do that much for me. And although they sh- just showed that they were very ignorant of whales at that time, but other than that, I'm you know, but still, the idea that well, uh, people are ignorant. Well, I don't know where Uzbekistan is. Does, does that? 
make my world a little smaller? It does, but does if I knew where it was, would that make me that much better? No, not much. I mean, so it's the idea that we should all know the same things is, uh, I think it's, it's a nice thought. I think here, if I might jump in here, I, I think you're you're responsible for what what you know and what you don't know, right? No, no one can yeah. no one can uh, twist your arm behind your back and say, "I want you to read the dictionary today." You know, I mean, it, it's got it, especially when you're an adult. It's got to be something that you are inter, uh, motivated uh, inwardly to do. Uh, it, it's very difficult to force it from the outside, but it's children. Right, and it, well, as children, the, the schools take a responsibility for imposing some of that. That's what school curriculum is about. And um, you can say that uh, Flavor Flav is, is more, val- more valuable using Jeremy Bentham's idea about whatever gives people the most pleasure. Um, you know, a game of tiddlywinks can be more valuable than Hamlet. I, I, I beg to differ. But um, the fact is, what Hirsch's point is, is that you can know a lot about flavor, flavor, flavor. It's not going to get you a, a job at a bank or a, um, or, or an investment house or, um, or maybe even an advertising agency. And, and so the, 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 he's not saying that everybody has to know the same thing. He's saying that there is a common national culture that people need to be able to participate in. Obviously there are. Or at least be familiar with. Yeah, right. And, and, and you need to be familiar to participate. And the, the, then you get to the point, yes, there are regional cultures as, um, somebody brought up earlier and there, um, there, there are various ethnic and other cultures. Um, not everybody's going to know all the same things, but there, his point goes back to there's a core of stuff that you you, you should know um, as uh, as an American. If someone makes a reference to Abe Lincoln, you don't need to be the greatest scholar of Abraham Lincoln. You should have some idea of who Abraham Lincoln was. Yeah, well, I'm just, I, I, oh, yeah, go ahead, please, Harry. Oh, I go just going to say uh, to know to get a bank a bank job, you just know how to multiply and add and all that. So I mean, you know, knowing Moby Dick ain't going to get you that job either. So. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the call. But you'll yeah. be more interesting during break time. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, gentlemen, let's get another call in. This is Jeff. Jeff, good morning. Thanks for holding your on talk back. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. I see you other Jeff. Um, and it's interesting that uh, I didn't actually read the book, but I read reviews of the book and I got some insights into what people in the education system think about uh, about the book. And it was interesting to see that it kind of comes down between two schools of thought where Hirsch is more of a facts-based kind of guy and uh, Rousseau and Dewey and those folks were more uh, skills-based and trying to figure out, uh, you know, give kids the skills they need to learn. And I know that's a simplification, but it seems like it's kind of a both-and rather than either-or for me. You need a certain set of facts, and I think that's where the discussion about facts and the culture come around. What are the basic uh, cultural facts? What's the what in the Greek kerygma? What's that kernel that everybody needs to know? You know, um, nobody needs to know what page me means because we don't use pagers anymore, and that was part of the culture, and it's gone. Um, but we do need to know about the Constitution and the three branches of government, and so the division lies somewhere in between there. And uh, I think the Acton Academies uh, kind of have that division right because they kind of they have a structure that they put the kids inside, but inside that structure they let the 
the kids figure out what it is that they're going to learn. And, you know, if you're going into welding, you don't need to have a, uh, a uh, classical education. You need to know how to weld and, uh, you know, the metals, that, how they work and those sorts of different things. And that's specific to the individual. Whereas if you're going into banking, as Harry was talking about, you're going to need to know math, but you're going to need to know more, more than just math because there's a business involved in that. But for both, there's also some business aspects. So um, I'm, I, I see it as, as both and. It's, it's you know, I, I think the discussion needs to kind of coalesce around what are, what's that kerygma of facts? What's that core of facts that we all need to know as Americans? And uh, then the people in Massachusetts and the people in Montana can have their own individual cultural stuff. And when we meet, and we head down to the south and we find out what sweet tea really is, um, we can learn from that as well. Jeff, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. All right. Uh, yeah, with that, we're up against a break, so we'll, we'll, yeah. have, we'll have comments from Amir Dad and Michael. Phone lines are open if you have a question or a comment, especially about the book we're, we're studying. Uh, the, the, the KGVO Book Club today is Cultural Literacy by E.D. Hirsch. And we're going to come right back with more of Talk Back, hopefully your phone calls as well, right after this. Hey, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. This is the KGBO Book Club, by the way. It's a very, very popular segment here on Talkback. Uh, Nick Christensen waiting to take your phone calls this morning at 721-1290. I'm Peter Christian. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Mirdad Kia here in the studio, uh, Dr. Michael Mayer. And uh, Mirdad, you want to make a point before we get to Jim's call. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, the, uh, the last two calls, Harry and Jeff, both excellent points, and I really like it. And... But there is, there is also something else we need to add to this discussion. That is uh, the argument that, uh, you know, uh, what does an accountant know? Uh, you know, why should an account, a person who wants to be an accountant, why should he or she know, uh, you know, it, the pronunciation is Uzbekistan. It's a country in Central Asia. What, what difference does it make? You know, and so on and so forth. And do we know something about the vocabulary of NASCAR, you know, uh, and uh, those who become involved? And what is the relevance of these sub-knowledges, basically? This core knowledge issue, first of all, is not mutually exclusive. That is, uh, it doesn't say skill-based knowledge is uh, uh, should be put down or be secondary skill knowledge or knowledge based on a certain skills should be complementary to a more holistic education um a, a person who is getting a degree in business yes of course accounting marketing whatever but that person can be much more successful if he or she knows uh uh, how to travel around the world and sell some products um, within the context of different cultures, different uh, political systems, different languages, and so on and so forth. Uh, to be culturally um, uh, literate, to have a historical knowledge of things, does not mean that you are excluding skill-based knowledge. This is one thing. So they are not mutually exclusive. The The other thing is... Um, we we are not just born to become screws in a machine, you know, that we are just, uh, you know, doing one thing alone all, you know, every day, every hour of our lives. We also live in this world. And by the way, we are also citizens. 
uh, whether one is a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a construction worker or um, uh, driver or whatever uh, the the task is, whatever the nature of the work is, it's wonderful. But at the same time, you're a citizen of the United States. You have to know why you vote. For whom do you vote? Based on what do you vote? Uh, from what history you have come? Where are these parties are coming from? Why are they saying what they're saying? Uh, th- that is not included in the skill-based knowledge. That is included in a humanities curriculum. Uh, you have to have basic critical thinking and historical knowledge of the society in which you live. Otherwise, you just become, a, you know, basically a machine, which is just doing everything on a, on a daily basis and getting a salary. I think that's why we need a comprehensive education, and that's how I read Hirsch. That is an educated citizenry, uh, which participates in its own fate, needs to have a general knowledge of certain things, culturally, historically, institutionally, and so on and so forth. Otherwise, the citizenry can be manipulated on a daily basis and can swing from this to that. And I'm sorry to say this is what happened in 1930s Europe where, you know, very dangerous political organizations and parties manipulated people to extreme views. And this is something we need to avoid. And the only way to avoid this is an educated citizenry. Yeah, I think, I think Meredith's points are, are, are very well taken. Uh, and it's one of, uh, he's right. It's one of Hirsch's points is that this uh, cultural literacy, as he says, is necessary for democracy to function. And Meredith's point about the, you know, you're, you're not only the job that you do for eight hours a day or whatever it is. Uh, Hirsch also has a less profound uh, defense of of the of cultural literacy than than, than Meredith's, but as he as he says, being taught to decode elementary reading materials and specific job related texts cannot constitute true literacy. In modern life, we need general knowledge that enables us to deal with new ideas and events because. Things change, as as he says. The practical drawback of such narrow training is it does not prepare anyone for technological change. You need to be able to uh, adjust and adapt. And then there are the larger issues that Meredith raises. And um, he's not saying that everyone needs to read Moby Dick and become an expert in it. And one would hope get something more out of it than Harry did. But that you do need to have a cultural reference. You need when someone mentions Moby Dick, you just need to know what it's about. You don't you don't have to sit there and study it. Uh, I have, and it's it's worth. It, but that's a different. It's a different story. You don't need to. You need to have some reference to that. And with that, we're, we're up against. I think there is, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, we'll, you you there, make your there, comment. We'll take a yeah. break. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm very quickly. And there is a difference between knowledge and knowledge. Um, the knowledge of NASCAR um, is very important, and uh, I think it's, it's entertaining and very important for those who are involved in it. But uh, you know, uh, the knowledge of Uzbekistan. Uh, is equally important, and I hope and I wish uh, that uh, that more people understand that culture. Because next time there is a conflict there, and next time United States becomes involved, and next time U.S. companies are under attack in that remote country, we might have a we might need to have a knowledge, an in-depth knowledge of that country's culture and history and politics, so you have an idea why we are becoming involved in that country. I don't think that that applies. 
All right, with that, we're going to take a break. Come right back. We have Jim waiting very patiently on the line. Jim, if you'll hang on, right after this break, you'll be first up, and the phone lines are ringing, 721-1290. This is the KGVO Book Club, and it's about a book called Cultural Literacy with uh, written by E.D. Hirsch. Back with more of that discussion when we return. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. We are back on Talkback. And uh, this is, again, the KGVO Book Club. Uh, Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio. Dr. Mirdad Key on the phone. And Jim has been waiting quite a while. Jim, good morning. You're on Talkback. What's your question, please? Good. Good morning, gentlemen. I just want to make a comment. As a young man, I served in Vietnam. I was sent to Vietnamese language school by the Army and... uh, I didn't think I did well, but I ended up mastering the language and the cultural awakening and getting to know the Vietnamese people was a gift beyond, uh, uh, you know, it just a gift that, you know, I, I can't describe it. It opened my eyes and uh, you get to know a different culture. You get to know a different people and learn how they think. And then you can uh, look at your own culture and uh, say, uh, let's go for Sunday afternoon entertainment. You know, there's one group of people that uh, love to listen to the Boston Pops on a Sunday afternoon. And there's another group of people in the southeast that just soon watch a NASCAR race at Talladega. Uh, And, uh, you know, the difference... uh, in in the mindsets is is just incredible, but we're all Americans. Now, yeah. Jim, Jim, would you say that that learning the Vietnamese language and then going and serving uh, and thank you for your service to our country, by the way, uh, did that awaken you to other uh, to other possibilities? Uh, yeah, I was able to learn that. Well, what well, what's next? Well, in high school, I had German and Spanish. My father was an army officer, so we moved quite often. Uh, and then, uh, when I was uh, at the university last time, I took three years of Mandarin Chinese Wow! and that's, that's an eye opener too. And, uh, since I know both, both gentlemen, I, uh, I do appreciate your book club and, uh, I'm going to go get this book uh, as soon as I can. So, but, uh, thank you gentlemen. And, and just, uh, you know, everybody ought to get up and just go spend six months in a different culture. You know, uh, people people from uh, uh, big big city states like New York, California, and so on come to Montana, and they, their their minds are blown. You know, they don't they they can't fathom. You know, uh, I had a niece that came out for a visit, and she uh, grew up in Maryland. And uh, she says, Uncle Jim, there's no no place to shop. I says, what you, you know, I mean, okay, we don't have all the stores they have everywhere else, but, uh, you know, so what? We can live without it. But, uh, you know, pe- people need to go 
and spread their horizons. You bet. Jim? And, and experience a different culture. Jim, it's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call. Uh, gentlemen, your comments. All right. Jim, uh, thank you very much for your service. Thank you very much for your excellent comment. And I could not agree with more, uh, more with uh, what Jim just said. I think uh, when you learn another language, you learn another culture, you live in another culture, country, society, you read its history. It, it's, um, it's not only eye-opening, you also start looking at your own society in a very different fashion. And uh, um, other cultures, other histories... And it doesn't mean that you you like them or you dislike them or you appreciate them or you don't. It's just uh, it expands your horizons and it gives you another tool to, you know, look at your own environment, your own society, your own culture, your own institutions. And I think the more the merrier. All right. Uh, let's, let's get another call in. This is Ed. Ed, thanks for holding your on Talkback on the KGVO Book Club. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I might be opening a can of worms. I'd like to see that one translated to, uh, to all the cultures of the world, a can of worms. Uh, but uh, in any event, according to a neighbor here, uh, what's going on at the University of Montana campus? Now, maybe only one of you wants to talk about <laughs> about this, but as I understand it, <laughs> as I understand it uh, from from my neighbor, uh, they are uh, looking at paring down a lot of the uh, offerings that uh, would fit in with uh, what we're talking about uh, today. Uh, and uh, in any event, uh, w- would that be a possible topic sometime? What's happening on the university campuses, including UM, uh, to uh, to address this kind of point? All right, thanks for the call, that gentleman. Uh, it, it's a it's a very well taken point, and uh, it, he's exactly right. Uh, the the attack on the humanities, the um, the, the sort of the, the broader general purposes of education and, and conveying a common culture um, is is exactly what Hirsch was writing about 25, 30 years ago, uh, 30, 35 years ago, I guess. But um, it's uh, and, and it's one of the reasons why we chose the book is because every bit as relevant today as it was then. And um, the the focus on vocational education is very useful, but at the expense of other things, it's very limited. All right, the Liberal Arts University, right? So, yeah. uh, Mirdad, go ahead. Yeah, I think, Ed, Ed you, you did open a can of work, <laughs> and I think uh, you you alluded to uh, Mike being uh, retired now, and he can talk, and <laughs> I'm still there, I wouldn't be able to talk, but you don't know me. I... Uh, <laughs> I I've been talking about this for years, as Mike can testify, and uh, I I don't know if, uh, um, you know, it's very popular to talk about these things, especially in a building called Main Hall on the University of Montana campus. Uh, we want to portray a sense of unity of the family and uh, not to any disagreements. But I completely agree with Mike. I think, um, um, in fact, you know, uh, what Harry and Jeff uh, 
both said with regard to um, with regard to skill based you know and more vocational type education i think that's now the trend at the university of montana um uh, humanities social sciences um the basic general gist of uh, humanities and uh, social sciences is basically critical thinking understanding uh, your own history your own culture um, your other histories and other cultures and other societies and having a, a, a broader and more comprehensive a more global view of things uh, they're all being set aside um, for the sake of a much more of a skill-based you know and uh, my argument is you know let's not play one against the other skill-based education is very important very important to get a good job but skill-based education should not uh, exclude a more comprehensive humanities social science based education in which the student also gains an in-depth knowledge of the society and the world in which he or she lives and will operate uh, the more comprehensively educated students we have uh, the more they become marketable, the more they can function in this world, and the more they can be of relevance to themselves. And with that, we're up against a break. It's a one-minute timeout. Ben and Helena, and uh, Nick's on the line with somebody else as well. This is the KGVO Book Club, and uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to shift gears and talk about the next book that is coming up. So we'll be right back after this one-minute timeout. We're back. This is Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. It's the KGVO Book Club. And let's get as many more calls in as we can. Ben has been waiting the longest. Ben, good morning. You're on with Michael and Mirdad. Go ahead. Hi, Professor Mira. Hi, Professor Kia. Um, yeah, I just have a couple of questions. So, um, really interesting book. But, uh, um, uh, so the the cultural literacy that, um, Hirsch is describing, I mean, I think it's pointing to like a, a deeper problem that like can be sort of um sort of undergirding our culture wars i mean uh like the fact that we're losing our cultural literacy i mean i think you can maybe uh say that we are not just losing our our sense of history or um culture and um our institutions and so forth but we're also since we're losing our cultural literacy we're losing a sense of what it means to be an american and i was wondering if you could comment on that and also i mean uh this problem that hirsch is describing uh, i mean he was right started writing about it in the 70s i mean this is a problem that's over a century old and i just wonder um i mean the problem seems to have gotten a lot worse uh, i mean do you think uh, there's any hope uh that we can like put together a sense of cultural literacy that Hirsch is uh, sort of um, advocating. All right. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for the call. Good yeah, questions. Yeah, gentlemen. very good questions. And one one thing people might do is look at uh, Ben's master's thesis, which dealt with many of these issues. He talked to, he was talking about educational uh, policy in the post-World War II era, which was, uh, and, and uh, he, yeah, he he's right. This is an old this is an old issue, and I think we we are losing it. But the the debate between um, skills based, you know, if you teach people to read, they can read anything, 
and knowledge base that uh, that you need to have some frame of reference is is as old certainly as as, as Dewey in in the early twentieth century, but it flared up again um, after World War Two. Uh, especially in the context of the Cold War, had the American education system was failing, and uh, Ben knows a lot about that. Um, ben, I wish I, I wish I could say that I had a lot of hope, but uh, maybe Merida does. <laughs> Number one, you know Ben's uh, points and questions are just uh, right on the money. I mean, he just hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I I just remember one thing though from these so-called, I don't know, protests, riots, whatever, attacking statues and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, I, I noticed, you know, a place, I think it was Washington, D.C. or outside or some neighborhood in D.C. Uh, people attacked Thomas Jefferson's statue. And it was very interesting. I was watching it. So they're trying to bring down the statue. Why? He's a white man. He was a slave owner. And, um, you know, I don't want to sound controversial, but if you ask any of those individuals, you know, can you say something about Thomas Jefferson, uh, history of the United States, what he did, what his accomplishments were, and so on. I don't think any of them them knew much about it. It was just that he was white and he was made and he he owned slaves. Of course, owning slaves was an evil thing, and the institution of slavery was evil, um, but if you knew something about Thomas Jefferson and you knew about the history of the United States and the founding fathers and so on and so forth, you don't have, you, you would not get so um, emotionally, um, you know, uh, wrapped up that you go and destroy statues. Right. Uh, that statue is a symbol of a history that we need to learn. Um, and part of it, negative, evil, destructive, of course it should be thought uh, and it should be taught in various levels of schooling. But uh, was it all evil? Uh, how about his contributions? And how about his writings? And how about his ideas? And so on and so forth. Um, this history is a messy, complex uh, process. And it does not take this kind of emotional judgment of destruction uh, of statues in order to express an opinion. You can have a much more educated opinion if you study it. We're almost out of time. We want to talk about the next book. So, Michael, yeah, go Real ahead. quickly, the next book is Amul uh, Tapar, T-H-A-P-A-R. The title is The People's Justice. Clarence Thomas and the Constitutional Stories that Define Him. Wow. And it's um, an analysis of Thomas's jurisprudence and um, particularly with respect to the impact it has on on the individual litigants. So it's an interesting look. It's a it's a look that is not commonly uh, not a common way of, of regarding Clarence Thomas's jurisprudence. And so it, it, it's interesting. It's published by Regnery, and uh, we hope people will um, read it, enjoy it, and participate. Is he currently the longest serving justice now? Is he longest remaining service, uh, serving justice, or is it Alito? Uh, it would be it would be Thomas. Okay, yeah. All right. So, Mirdad, uh, thank you so much for, for being on with us. We appreciate it, and this is always a great time for us. It's always a pleasure, and thank you again, and thank uh, many thanks to Nick for um, for uh, tolerating our jabbering and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for an hour and a half. But we really appreciate the time and the opportunity. All and right. thanks to and apologies to the people who didn't get on at the you end. Bet. You bet. And we'll we'll do it again next month. So, all right. So, Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, sir? 
from 8 to 8.30, we will be doing open phones. 8.30 to 9, we'll talk with Robin Driscoll, chair of the Montana Democratic Party. Uh, 9 to 9.30, hopefully we'll talk with Don Kay, Montana GOP chairman. And then 9.30 to 10, we uh, are supposed to talk with Troy Downing. All right. Uh, Troy Downing, of course, is running for Congress as uh, as well as being the state auditor and insurance commissioner. So lots going on there. And again, uh, thank you all. You, you you guys knocked it out of the park this morning. Your calls were great. Uh, uh, both Michael and Dad were very impressed uh, with the, the breadth of knowledge that you folks call uh, our callers have. And we appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, being on today. It's good to be back from vacation and uh, we'll we'll continue on with uh, with more of Talk Back coming up tomorrow. So please drive safely out there. It's still a little bit foggy and uh, have a great day, everybody.